Welcome to the Painting Lines Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things tennis. Join Eric and Aiden in their discussion for updates on news and pop culture, and from hot takes to betting, they've got you covered. Ready? Set. Welcome back to Painting Lines. Last week, we delved into the career and legacy of Stan Wawrinka, and this week we're going to be talking about some of the reasons why the summer hardcourt season is one of the best seasons of the year for tennis. So first off, last week we were talking about Atlanta, but we didn't really get to discuss the end result. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Atlanta. Obviously, I think while we were recording, Fritz was playing actually in the final, but Fritz got it done over Vukic and collected his second title of the year. His first was at Delray Beach. I think for him, it's good to see that he's getting titles like this because he's a top 10 player and when you're at that level, you kind of expect people to not just be doing well in tournaments, but also be winning some of them. Right, exactly. You know, it is nice to see him kind of get his mojo back because remember last year, he was coming off Indian Wells, won that tournament, going into the U.S. Open, super hot. Everyone's thinking, okay, this is our guy. He's going to take this home, lose his first round. So feeling the pressure but yeah good to see him get another title don't think that this means a whole lot though just because of what i said the momentum doesn't really matter yeah but i think that's a little slightly different because indian wells like pretty early on in the year this is obviously in august and the u.s open starts at the end of august so it does show that hopefully his form is good like right now Mm -hmm. that's true that's true another thing that was cool about the atlanta open was nishikori returned to playing at the tour level he played in two challengers after not playing for 20 months uh, after having a hip surgery. And his first tournament back, actually, in the challenger, he won the whole tournament. Comes into Atlanta and he gets two wins, I believe. It's cool to see a guy like him where obviously he's had injuries and he's a little bit older now. And you're kind of hoping to see him do well, kind of like how Monfi has been doing recently. You're happy to see it because you're like, this guy was so good. And now you're only going to see flashes of it. Speaking of that, I just coined a term for those type of players. They're called pity players. Pity players? Like you said, you just like to see them win. You don't expect a whole lot of them a lot from them and it's always happy you're happy when they win you know you have pity on them yeah that's i feel like that's kind of an aggressive term i think it's players that are at the tail end of their career who don't really have anything going for them who are just playing so whenever they get a win it makes the audience think oh wow good for them you know good for them maybe <laughs> still playing. i'd rather be they'd be called like vintage players or something i don't know <laughs> petty players no, they're not, they're not like... vintage they're not vintage yet yeah, but yeah, pity players just seems exactly. aggressive, but maybe. I mean, we can see what maybe our audience thinks about that term. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, then after Atlanta, we had Washington. Evans took the second title of his career. He's 33 years old, so he's kind of another part of that older players winning trend. Mm -hmm. Like Eubanks coming onto the scene, he's 28. Katchen won that tournament, he's 28. There's guys like Alcaraz that come in and win immediately, but now there's also guys that are winning their first or second titles at 28 to 33. Manorino, another guy, won in yeah. uh, Newport. He's been a veteran on the tour, but you don't necessarily expect him to win these tournaments. And now these guys are starting to break through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good to see. Dan Evans. I just <laughs> love when the announcers call him by his full name. He's one of the full name guys, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Another aspect of that tournament that I kind of want to talk about is FAA had his third straight first round exit 
And actually now, after the Canadian Open, he's lost in four straight first rounds. There's been a lot of news articles written about, oh, he has a shoulder injury, oh, he has a knee injury. And I'm wondering, do you think it's better to take a break and allow that full recovery? Because you may be making it worse, and you're probably not going to win any matches if you're playing at 60%. But I think the issue with that is that it can become really hard to kind of grind back to your spot that you were at. You get less and less easy entries into these tournaments you get maybe harder matchups in the tournaments because of that it does make it more difficult to get back up to that top 10 ranking that he's at right now yeah and i think this kind of goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of the episode about older players having more success so maybe he's kind of thinking that he's racing against the clock here you know he's not going to be young forever he needs to get back out there he's pushing his body i think he needs to sit back and just kind of heal up because he does have time. He's a younger player. Dan Evans is winning at 33 years old. I think FAA doesn't need to be trying to jump the gun here to get yeah. back on the court. Yeah, but I think another aspect of the the reasoning behind going into these tournaments is there is a financial incentive to play in these tournaments, even if you're going to lose in the first round. As a top 20 player, you're going to get an automatic bid into these tournaments and you're probably going to be seated. So not only are you going to maybe get an easier matchup, the automatic entry can be huge because a first round exit pays you X amount. And one of the guys that I think is an example of this is Ben Shelton right now. I mean, he made that Australian Open run massive for his ranking. Now he's ranked number 41 and he's still getting automatic bids into all these big tournaments. But since the Australian Open, he's had like no success this year. He's had 12 first round exits and it seems like he's kind of just entering tournaments and then just collecting checks. Mm -hmm. Since the Australian Open, he's actually only won five matches. He's five and 16. But from those 21 matches, he's made over $450,000 in prize money. That is a lot more money than he would have made if he would have stayed at UF, huh? But do tennis players do that? You know what I mean? Like, was there even a chance that he would stay in college and play another year? Because I really don't think he needed to develop that much. Right? There isn't that much of an incentive to stay an amateur in tennis. That's why you yeah. see guys turning anything, pro at like 15. Worse, right. Yeah. You want to play against better guys. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, if, if he already won the national championship, that pretty, that means he's the mm -hmm. best player in college, right? Maybe so who's he yeah. going to play to improve against? Well, this also goes back to what I mentioned a couple episodes ago. Maybe he's just regressing to the mean, you know, that that run in Australia could have been a little lucky. This is the actual player that he is. 100%. And also the aspect of the newcomer and you don't know how he plays. Mm -hmm. So all these guys are playing against him for maybe the first time ever. And he beats them in the Australian Open. But then everybody has that film on him. Everybody yeah. knows, okay, this is how he's going to play. And so all of a sudden, he doesn't win in, in those matches anymore. And he's mm -hmm. obviously a very good player, but he's maybe not the top 40 player that he shot up to because of that success. Yeah, no, I saw him last year at the U.S. Open. It was the first day, actually. Thanks for the ticket, by the way. <laughs> um, it, yeah. He was on one of those outside courts, the smaller ones, and I wasn't watching it, and one of my buddies texted me, Yo, you got to get to like court 17. Uh, ben Shelton's playing. I'm like, dude, who's Ben Shelton? Like, He's in a fifth set tiebreaker. Get there right now. I ended up going there and it was full American crowd, super rowdy, very energetic. And just watching him for the first time, like you knew he was going to be something special. 
I think he's just still growing into his potential. Well, I mean, one positive is that with a f number 41 ranking, he is going to get automatic bids into like Canada, which he actually got his first round win in Canada, which is good to see. At least that's a, a positive sign. Then in Cincinnati and then the U.S. Open. So hopefully we'll see yeah. some success from him there. I think maybe another aspect is just like I've talked about in the past, how I think U.S. players are very much fitted to success on hard court because 99% of the courts in the U.S. are hard courts. Mm -hmm. So you grow up only playing on that, and you spend 95% of your career just playing on that. And then we, he goes over to Europe, and he's playing on clay and grass, and he's playing as guys that have been playing on that for their entire lives. So maybe that's a big reason, and he just needs to work on those different surfaces. So unfortunately, he just lost to Alcaraz mm. as we speak. Damn. Two sets. I, I mean, but then again, he went into a tiebreak in that second set, right? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Did. So, I mean, it wasn't a complete blowout and he's playing the best guy in the world. So an understandable loss. I'll cut him some slack with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of building off that, uh, talking about the Canadian Open, one of the big things I wanted to address in this episode is why I think summer hardcore tournaments are some of the best tennis of the year. And I think the biggest reason is just the surface in general. I think hardcore gives the opportunity for really balanced play. I think also, I think most players are most comfortable probably on hard court. So I think you're, you're going to see some of the highest level of tennis overall because everybody's playing consistently strong. So Aiden, let me ask you this. What is the difference between a hard court that's outdoor and a hard court that's indoor? Is there a speed difference or does it play any different? I'm sure it does. I don't really have that much experience playing on indoor hard court. I think obviously there's stuff like wind resistance is going to be different. So the ball is going to fly differently. But uh, so the second reason I think that summer is a great season for tennis is because I think you do get an interesting change up in terms of the players fighting at the top because of fatigue. We saw we see with Djokovic right now, he's taking time off because he's so tired from playing in all these tournaments. Obviously, he's going to be exhausted from that. And because of that fatigue, the highest ranked players that have been doing really well at tournaments are more tired. Simultaneously, the lower ranked guys that are still in maybe like the 20s or 30s are more fresh because they haven't necessarily been playing as deep into these tournaments. Mm -hmm. So it gives these lower ranked players the chance to take a title. And I think that's shown in the past because there have been seven unique winners over the last eight years in both of the two Masters 1000 tournaments. Wow. Yeah, I like where you went with that, with the fatigue, because I thought you were going to say, because, like, that's a great point. Um, I thought you were going to say, because it's summer, a lot, it's going to be hotter and a lot more players are going to be more fatigued because of the weather and the extreme heat that we're seeing, especially here in the U.S. It is going to be a brutal U.S. Open. I'm up here in New York and it's been 90 plus humid, just gross, so... Um, that could also be a factor. It definitely can be a factor. I was kind of more going in the direction of no, it's I know, a long I know. season. I know where you're going with it. That's why, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. That definitely could be a factor come the U.S. Open time. But also, yeah, I mean, speaking of the U.S. Open, in terms of unique winners, there actually hasn't been a back-to-back -back winner at the U.S. Open either since 2009. All right. Well, do you think we'll see a repeat from Alcaraz? I mean, it could be. I mean... Even though, obviously, there's this precedent of people not winning it back-to-back, -back, I think it is different because Alcaraz is so young. He's the number one player in the world. He's has all the momentum, really. We'll see what happens in these next two tournaments, but 
right now it looks like he has all the momentum going into that tournament. I think he could take it back to back, especially since last time he won it, Djokovic didn't get to play. This year, Djokovic will get to play, but now Alcaraz has that confidence against him because mm -hmm. he beat him in the Wimbledon final. So yeah. I think there's going to be maybe a shift, and I think Alcaraz could take it back to back. On the contrary, though, I think Djokovic might have the vengeance mindset and could be playing even harder. He could. And he's, I would he's, love to see a rematch between those two. Like, get Medvedev out of here. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I think he's going to make a big run. Not unfortunately. I don't know why I said that. I only said that because I want to see Djokovic and Alcaraz. And if he beats either of the two. But nothing. Yeah. But like nothing against Medvedev, obviously. Yeah. Nothing. I, I love Medvedev. Yeah. Man. He was the player that I really started like after last year's USO or two years ago, US Open when he won. Yeah. I remember, I remember, mm -hmm. I think when I started liking was actually you sent me this speech he made to the press after I think he lost a big match. Yeah, he lost in Australia. It was Nadal. Yeah. And so he lost and he had this big press conference where he was talking about how he's like, why is the, why are the fans always against me? Like I do nothing that is really insulting to these people. Like what, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And he was like, if people don't want me to play in these tournaments, I just won't play in them. I'll play in the tournaments I want to play in. And I just won't come to any of these big tournaments because he's like, I'm sick of being hated on. And I was like, dude, respect for saying that. Like most guys will just ignore the anger of the fans. I think a lot of the time, but he addressed it and that I respected him for doing that. Very like confident masculine. Like he's comfortable in his own skin, you know? Yeah. He can say that. Yeah. But it also, I think the U S open, like because of all this stuff, you never know what's going to happen coming into this tournament. Mm. So you could see Medvedev or Akaraz losing the first round against some random guy because these guys are like, I feel confident on the hard court. But yeah, you ready to uh, hop into segments? Yeah, let's do it. I have a very interesting one this week. So I saw that the U.S. Open will be adding video review. And it is the first of its kind. No other tournament, no other slam has done this before. It's a separate thing from line calling because you know how they'll have the Hawkeye on there. This is literally an instant replay. And it's mostly for uh, things like double bounces and whatnot. So what are your what are your thoughts? I mean, I think that's cool. I think it's to me, it's already like they already have Hawkeye. Like this is just seems like an expansion sort of of that mm -hmm. and applying it to other aspects of the game. Yeah, well, the players, from their feedback, I think they seem to like it because their thought is if the technology is there, why not use it? And instead of arguing with the umpire, which usually goes nowhere, I've never seen an umpire reverse a call because a player argued with him. 100%. But anyway, you know You cannot be I, serious. Yeah. You're right. I was just joking, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> right. You're right. But like the other day with um, Milos and Francis, when they played their match and then tiafo ran into the doubles part of the net did you see that i didn't see that part oh no. this is interesting so milos hit a nasty drop shot but tiafo got there uh hit the winner but then ran into the net so the umpire called it like dead you know milos point but then went back redacted the point and gave it back to tiafo because he realized tiafo ran into the doubles portion of the net which is technically an addition. So if it was a singles court, the net wouldn't have gone that far out. Therefore, he wouldn't have hit the net. 
That's interesting. It was very interesting. And Milos Ronica, he argued the umpire for a solid five minutes on it. They got the supervisor. The supervisor confirmed the call, and then he smashed his racket. <laughs> I think there's also, though, there's some weird things there. Then if you're running up to the net, you could, like, reach out your your racket and like stop yourself by pushing against the doubles portion or something like that. Yeah. That's also a good point because you're like, Oh, it wouldn't uh, be there. I wouldn't be touching the net, but it's like, you'd right, be, you you right. would have touched the regular net. There's always and some Milos weird brought up a point. Yeah. Milos brought up a point where what if he hit a ball and it hit that part of the net and then came in like, yeah, exactly. Is it automatically out? Like, is it a let? Yeah. Yeah. But All that's why of... I love the human as human air aspect of this sport. Yeah, that's uh some of it's yeah, it's fun to see. It's like you can't yeah. really play like the net isn't there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, apparently it was in the rules, so it must have come up before. That's weird. There is a, there is a precedent for it. That's very so. weird. All right, what did you see this week? This week I'm kind of revisiting like an old thing with new eyes because the ATP website brought up this this article from this week which is what i saw and it was that two years ago andy murray made this prediction about who would be like a future world number one and he was like well obviously i think medvedev is gonna do it because medvedev was like world number two at the time and you know who else i think is a younger guy is gonna do it is alcaraz and when he said that alcaraz had won one title and wasn't even top 50 in the world whoa so andy murray can tell the future yeah he was like he looks good and he like talked to juan carlos ferrero murray was like okay this guy's definitely he has the talent to be there and if he's working hard like this guy is saying then he could definitely be a world number one wow that is interesting very like cool that. to see yeah but also it kind of really shows these tennis players really know this stuff to like the next mm -hmm. level they know okay this guy i know he's not even in the top 50 yet but he has the chance to be a world number one versus mm -hmm. another guy you could see and it's hard to see the difference in these two guys level maybe but the tennis player can tell like the the professional tennis player can tell yeah, like that's... us as as like essentially pundits we can only mm -hmm comment on what we see as an outsider but i know i know it's it's honestly i can't think of like a good word for it but it's beautiful you know what i mean it's like a sixth sense exactly exactly all right let's get into bet of the week who are you taking i'm i'm kind of reversing my bet that i took two weeks ago or last week ethan quinn over vukic now i'm taking yeah. vukic actually over corda because <laughs> in that tournament Vukic made that run to the final in Atlanta, and he also beat Borna Chorich in his opening round match. So he's clearly in really good form right now. And I think sometimes Korda lacks kind of consistency. Mm -hmm. So that makes it an interesting bet because obviously Korda is the favorite because he has the potential to play better than Vukic. Mm -hmm. But if he plays like mediocre to not as consistent, I think Vukic is playing at like a very solid level and mm -hmm. can beat him. So it'll depend on whether Korda can step up to that level that we know that he can play at. Yeah, well. What about you? I'm taking Deminar versus Fritz over two and a half sets plus 130. This one, I don't know if it's just me, but this kind of seems like a no-brainer, no? I agree that it's a good bet. I think that what the odds makers are saying is they just saw Fritz win a tournament and make then make the semifinal, I think, in Washington. Mm -hmm. So they're like, this guy's in top form. 
he's going to blow through him. But I think it is a good bet because Deminar obviously is a very strong player. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I so I originally was going to take Deminar uh, plus one hundred over Fritz just because, like you said, he's a very good player. I think I like the value there. He's a force to be reckoned with. Like he's not someone that is just going to be walked all over. And then when I was writing the explanation why I was rooting for Deminar, I saw that the odds were better to take three sets because I was going to write, you know, this will be a three set match. I think so. I think they'll both get one and then it'll come down to a decider. And then I saw that line. So I figured, all right, might as well just take that. 100%. Yeah. Always and take take those good odds. Just a little added um, sub note. They're three and three against each other. So. Okay. Yeah. So it's definitely. Uh, yeah. This one's for all the marbles. Probably going to be a match to watch, yeah. I know. Let's do it. All righty. You ready to hop into match of the week? Oh, yeah. I love my match of the week, man. So Dominic team beat Jer 6-7-7-5-7-6. This was to get him to his first final since 2020, and he saved five match points in this match. Oh, that's tough for Jer. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Tough for Jer. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Team, man, that was fantastic to see. What a match. I just can't even imagine the pressure of having five match points against you, saving them all, and going on to win. Yeah. Team is now in the top 100. Yeah, let's go, man. Pretty cool to see, obviously. Bullish on, bullish on team. Yeah. My match of the week is Monfi. Defeating Eubanks seven six six seven six one tough. I was rooting for Eubanks, but what you did see some vintage Monfi points. Just mm -hmm. him getting to all these things and then somehow getting to that last one and hitting a winner. And you're just like, this is insane, especially at thirty six. And now he actually won his next match too, so he's making a run here in uh, Canada. Was that uh, was that Sitsipas that he beat? Yeah, dude, he's on fire right now. Yeah. I mean, I also think Sitsipas just hasn't been playing that great recently, but... It's, it's his girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. He's getting dragged down. <laughs> no. I bet his dad's going to make him break up with her. <laughs> his, dad, his dad probably still treats him like he's 12 years old. Probably. Stefanos. <laughs> exactly. Stefanos, yeah, but, you are not playing up the par. But the interesting thing that, there. Yeah, but he said that he said is like, after the match, like mm -hmm. he said that he's pretty much almost ready to retire. Yeah, because he talked about, oh, he's like married and he has a kid now. And he's like, I kind of just, I'm ready to move on to the next chapter of my life pretty much. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think he's blowing smoke. <laughs> really? You think he's just going to be like, I'm I don't know. This, no, time might, never this, mind. Time, this time might actually be serious. Yeah. I wonder what he'll get into after. I think just being, just being a dad. Just being a dad. Yeah. Yeah. Good but, for uh, him, man. All right. And that's the show. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Painting Lines Podcast. Feel free to shoot us a DM or email us any questions or thoughts at paintinglinespodcast at gmail.com.